Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. This week you'll find Andrew Sexter, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, with me, Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst. Uh, we've come together to give you our thoughts on three topics uh, that have interested us in the last week or so. Uh, and if you like what you hear and would like to find out more, then do get along to hotelanalyst.co.uk for more. The first topic of interest is the fact that we see more and more deals happening and it does appear as if uh, there may be a slight easing in the financing landscape for those who want to do hotel deals as the market starts to open up, tills are ringing, credit cards are being swiped and uh, businesses started to build back. Uh, but we still understand that the market is such that there is not really a great appetite on the on the part of the mainstream banks to get back into the business yet they're still rather preoccupied with looking after their current client base and loan book uh, and so you still have the opportunity for the challenger banks to come in and do some interesting deals and back some new projects uh, and they seem to be doing that quite aggressively and indeed some of the people we've been speaking to have plans to further ramp up their operations over the coming months fairly confident that the market is going to be after their kind of approach that they take towards um, working out risk on on hotel deals and um, they seem to certainly have quite an appetite for the kind of more adventurous value-add and development opportunities uh, rather than simply just uh, refinancing existing debt. So um, times set reasonably fair it would seem uh, for the, the new brooms in the hotel lending space. Yeah I, I had took as my inspiration as uh, former Times foreign, foreign correspondents and um, he used to run with the adage sometimes it's attributed to jeremy paxman the the tv interviewer but it was actually originally i think from this correspondent louis heron and he said um why is this lying liar lying to me um which was his <laughs> mantra as a journalist when he was interviewing all the sort of dodgy foreign despots and things like this um there's an element of that when we start talking to the mainstream banks um they say oh yeah we're open for business but um, whenever we talk to any of their clients they say oh no they're not open for business you know we can't get money out of them at all um and i'm afraid there has been an element of that this time around again as well um despite the banks being a much better position than they were um post the global financial crisis in 2008 um the high street banks the mainstream banks um are have for the main part are very robust um they have healthy uh, balance sheets and they're in a position to lend um they just don't want to lend and get that exposure right now and they're being lent on to an extent by other forces politicians in particular to sort of you know steer clear of any funny lending practices etc um ironically this is a th precisely the time they ought to be lending more money and unfortunately they have a there's a long history of here of this pro-cyclical behavior which deepens the busts and um, makes the peaks higher um, because of how they how they operate um, but this time around what we are seeing are new types of lenders coming into the market so i mean i think you talked to a number of the challenger banks out there chris um we see direct lending funds and we're also seeing insurance and pension companies coming into the debt market now they're coming in very select 
typically very institutional quality lending environments for the, for the insurance and pension companies. Um, the direct lending funds have a certain appetite. Um, you know, uh, in some cases, there's a little bit of uh, loan to own um, play. Other cases, they're just looking for a you know very hefty return. And the challenge of banks too. Um, I think you had when you chatted to a couple of people, Chris. They they described um, eye watering levels of interest. I think was the, <laughs> the phrase in terms <laughs> of and, uh, yes, yes. yeah yeah. Um, so I, th I think we have got a, an element of that. But I mean, the, the reality is the debt's there. If the deal's there, um, and if the deals are there you'll take that debt and probably refinance in a few years time when inevitably the high street banks again will come in with their very low price debt at precisely the wrong point of market entry but um <laughs> hey ho that's how it goes the old um, story about it, the umbrella comes out comes to mind yeah it, 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 yeah it does yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um it just waits till the sun shines and it's not because it keeps the sun off you um the the other issue um, I, I, I'd mentioned in my commentary is structured finance more broadly, how that is coming back, despite all the the moans and groans about structured finance during the GFC and how that was it seemed to be responsible for the, the big excesses. Um, it's clearly coming back again. Um, so we've just had the extended stay um, acquisition Blackstone and Car Starwood Capital teaming up um, they're funding that with 4.65 billions worth of uh, commercial back securities and instruments like this we're going to see those across this side of the, the water as well in Europe um, Goldman Sachs have already used it they used it last month to fund a portfolio as a refinancing really of existing debts they had and that was a Dutch office though I think there was one hotel in a mixed-use development in it but that was 220 million euros we're going to see more and more of this type of thing I think as as this market gets legs and I I think we as you point out in your piece chris i think the market is really going to find its legs this autumn we might have a quietish summer but as we come out and as we get back to trading now this is all predicated on no return of the virus and all this kind of stuff and no further lockdowns there could be i think some a difficult period this winter as you know this virus just won't die um it just keeps going and keeps causing difficulties but uh, um with luck with um you know i, th I think the vaccines are there now uh, i think markets like the uk where we we have got that huge take up in the vaccines um, and we are vaccinated. Uh, that gives me confidence that, you know, I, I'd be very surprised indeed if we end up going back into a into another lockdown type scenario. Um, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more of our thoughts on that, I think, at the very end of this podcast. So I'll leave it there for now, other than to say, I think this is probably as good a time as any to be out there in the market borrowing money because debt is cheap um, and it's very difficult even you know there's talk of inflation and interest rates going up I think perhaps they will a bit but that's going to be a long that's a good two years away plus I would suggest before and even then I think it's going to be a very gradual increase in in interest rates in part because I don't think governments can afford to allow their central banks to put up interest rates too much so because um, they have so much debt themselves so I think it, the reality is I think this is a great time um, for real estate finance and real estate debt finance. 
And now we're going to have a look at the alternatives uh, in the accommodation space, um, some of which have been making hay and some of which are now planning to make hay uh, off the back of the pandemic. And um, this is really because uh, through the pandemic, you know, services, serviced accommodation um, and apart hotels grew in uh, the consciousness of the consumer uh, as they stayed largely open and uh, pivoted their business and looked at other sectors of the market that they could accommodate uh, so they by and large had quite a good pandemic compared to hotels um, and that's uh, led to some some sort of corporate uh, activity in terms of fundraising and um, we're seeing Sonda for example the service department group uh, is about to go public in the US by a SPAC listing uh, and then also we've seen just in the last couple of weeks um, Eden uh, here in Europe uh, who already run Lock, Moorgate and Wittenberg brands uh, and also Seiko which is the kind of the legacy brand they've announced another brand called Cove uh, they'll be converting quite a few of their, their legacy Seiko uh, product into Cove as well as signing some new sites already so they're sort of finding their feet and growing in stature and pushing some kind of new brands into the market to increase their relevancy to uh, the growing niches they're now attacking. Uh, the other interesting area, which of course did well last year, is the home rental market, the villa rental market. We've had Marriott already making a play into this space. Um, Accor's already been here for a while, having bought one fine stay uh, a while back. Uh, but we're starting to see a number of consolidation moves with uh, small uh, villa rental companies taking one taking over another uh, and there's two or three moves we've seen in the last few weeks which shows how they have these people have an appetite to grow and perhaps you know also shows there's there's been some some winners and losers within these niches you know the ones that are doing well are taking over the ones that perhaps are doing less well uh, but it, where will we be in five years time well we might actually have some much stronger brands in these uh, subset in these these niche markets within accommodation so the other question then is well if these people are consolidating and growing their their businesses within villa rental and so on will that attract the attention of the big hotel groups will they all want a bit of this if they haven't already got it within their portfolios yeah i think you make a lot of good points there chris i think certainly in terms of the extended stay that has really blossomed as a business model and has looked ever more attractive. Um, its resilience in the face of challenges such as, I mean, this is the biggest challenge the, the sector's ever faced, really, the, the whole lockdown um, situation with regard to the virus. Um, and and the most resilient subsector has been extended stay because they are so closely allied to residential, they could keep open when other hotels and short-term accommodation had to shut the doors. So that that is a clear, I mean, they still lost money, let's be clear in most mm. cases, some sort of broke even, but in most cases they still lost, lost money. They just didn't lose quite as much money as, uh, as other short-term accommodation uh segments so um so very good for them um i think on the villa rentals piece i think yeah i mean I, the, the the problem with that is is the scale um of those businesses 
um, are they how scalable are they i think marriott's done a very good job we've talked about them previously in terms of the, the its entry into this marketplace and quite contrasts with accor who was very aggressively into it but didn't execute as well and as successfully so far as marriott appears to have done mm. so it's an interesting piece there in terms of the the global majors so, but the, the thing i i looked at is something which you didn't particularly touch on in in sort of mentioned in in passing which is this whole subscription model thing and the the soho house ipo um they're listing as a company called membership collective group um and they're looking well their the pricing range came out uh, last week uh, put a valuation on the company around three billion us dollars they're looking to raise almost half a billion uh, us dollars uh, but it's a funny you know in the 25 years it's existed the company's never made any money um and you know it, it so, uh, there's already headlines um saying is soho house the new we work yes and it's it's not an unreasonable question um i actually don't think it is but i think there is still a lot for the company to prove i mean they lost 228 million last year not unreasonable in the pandemic but i think more worrying for any investors would be the the fact that they actually managed to increase their losses from 91 million in 2018 to 128 million 2019 um so there you were at a peak market and still losing huge amounts of cash now the argument would be they're fledgling they're still growing still expanding um but you know as with we work we have heard this story before Mm. and it's not ended that spectacularly well um they've also like we work got a lot of debts um 826 million of it part of the proceeds will of course go to pay some of that debt down nonetheless they still look pretty leveraged you know they're only turning over um what 600 odd million um us um last year of course it was hugely down but in 2019 642 million um so that they're not uh you know as a business there's a lot of growth needs to come there um and you're taking a big bet here because there's lots of new product lines coming in they're inevitably getting into co-working soho works um they're doing homewares retail soho home um even beach clubs um so uh, it's i i think the big difference is that soho house is you know it's not pretending to be a tech company it's saying look what we are is a a company that is built on um this membership piece um and it sees the membership as as is the basis its platform from which it can grow um so i think that underlying business idea is solid um and that understanding of how important the culture of the membership clubs is um but the unproven bit is whether you can grow to sort of be a business of the scale it needs to be to start making money um while still retaining that special culture which makes it unique it's that old groucho marx joke you know he'd never join a club anyone that would accept him <laughs> sort of thing and there is an element of that with 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 soho house i feel mm. well we're both missing our invites aren't we um yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh, right next we're going to talk about uh the uh, another part of the accommodation space uh which also has uh buildings with beds uh but it's not hotels it's a student accommodation it's another part of operational real estate um and 
it's quite curious it seems that uh, the student accommodation market has very quickly resettled after the upset of the pandemic um, there's already talk of fresh takeovers there's talk of companies revaluing their uh, their their student accommodation property back up after having written it down a bit last year and all of this looks to be because quite simply here's a market where once sort of decided they want to be back at campus and back in their accommodation um uh, the new normal looks very much like the old normal and uh, the new normal is um as as was the old normal is very strong on the demographics of the student numbers coming through uh, and there's, there's certainly feelings amongst those active in the space that uh, there's plenty more capacity out there, plenty more development opportunities, um, and here's a market that should keep keep on going very strongly. So, of course, it's attracting institutional money as well as private equity money. Mm. I mean, the, the purpose-built student accommodation market, which is the new build piece um which really is the investable piece of of this market um has a lot of parallels with the branded budget hotel sector um the difference the key difference is that pbsa is actually significantly bigger than the branded hotel budget market in the uk i mean pbsa has three separate listed reits in the uk it's been hugely successful in that market but i think just as the branded budget market has gone through a change um, 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, you could build anything and you could fill it. That that period has gone and Whitbread, the market leader with Premier Inn, says, look, uh, you know, admits we are to an extent cannibalizing existing hotels when we open a new hotel and there's an element now of that within within pbsa so i think there's a that they've reached that sort of switch in the market where um consolidation comes into play branding will come into play more uh, and being adaptable will come into play more i think where some people have got this very wrong is uh the notion that it's it's ed tech um education technology is somehow going to be a massive threat to the sector it's a bit like the notion that suddenly business travel is now going to end because we've got zoom um neither's right um because you know when you go to higher education you get so much more out of it um than than simply the the qualification it's not just about that in fact i would argue in most cases including mine it really wasn't about that at all it, it, it was about the overall experience it was about you know uh learning in the broader sense than the the very narrow topics that you that, that you're studying at, at at the educational establishment so um for all of those reasons i think it's very difficult to see a, a, a it being substituted by an online learning platform i think there will be some disruption from online and i think the weaker universities will come under pressure and i think we've got a little bit of disguise in the market at the moment there because there's a lot of deferrals from last year still in the pipeline um there there's been a huge bump in grade inflation which has allowed more people into the mar in you know to actually access some of these um uh universities again so i i, I do think there's a um a potential um difficulty maybe next academic year um it does rather depend on how quickly the uh, overseas market comes back because that's going to be critical i think to driving profitability here um particularly for the higher end players because you know you're coming in with people 
paying £30,000 plus um, for a year for tuition. Um, they are people who are able to afford 10, 15,000 or more a year on their accommodation. Um, um, whereas the domestic students, particularly at the, the the lower end of the market, they're looking for much more economical offers than that, and they're um, arguably less profitable, uh, depending on how you deliver, of course. Um, but uh, so I, I think there are, you know, so a good deal of uncertainties, and I, I would say there's more uncertainty in the PBSA market than there is in the branded budget hotel market. Um, but um, because I think that the tailwinds for tourism, for business travel, for uh, for travel in general uh, are, are clearly there and ongoing. Whereas I think there are one or two uh, what areas where I think you have to be a bit more careful in terms of the, the education market. I'm, I'm by no means a bear, however. I do think it's, it, it's going to carry on growing. I think it's perhaps just going to go through a slightly more subdued growth. And we're going to see a move, I think, to... Um, of adaptation and consolidation and we're going to see more certainly short term you know the, the the days where you just sort of let the property um on, in september um and that would do you for the year i think they're they've gone shorter lets are there um there is change within the market in terms of having to let over the holiday periods maybe having to um, have significantly shorter lets to accommodate for shorter courses all of this kind of adjustment is is going to come in there um net net i I think it's still a uh, you know it looks to me a, a very positive market okay well now let's turn to our five star and no star awards for the week and uh, andrew who's going to get the five stars this week well the five stars i think have to go to the fact we it's looking at our you can count your chickens or whatever cliche you want to use here but um it seems that barring some major calamity uh, um, we're recording this on Sunday night, Sunday the 11th, and uh, on the 12th, um, about five o'clock, we should hear that we're going to have a full opening in England um, um, on the 19th, and that we're going to be binning masks, so we're going to be binning the the Perspect most of screens. the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all of that stuff the the social distancing we're going to get back to normal nightclubs are going to reopen all of this good stuff um not that i'm a massive <laughs> nightclub attender i don't know about you chris I'm just, ambivalent um, at best but, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, uh, but it's uh we you know it's a sign of you know life is going to come back to very near normality uh, from the 19th um, thankfully and allow hospitality business to actually start getting some proper profits um, if they can meet the challenges um, that are going to come their way in terms of staffing of course but um, providing they overcome those bumps and there's still uh, quite a few wrinkles in there not the least of which is this um, um, this ridiculous situation we have um, in the UK at the minute where people are being uh, pinged left right and centre by their NHS app and told to self-isolate, which is causing most bosses to say, "Look, turn off your <laughs> turn yeah. off your app, <laughs> so you don't get pinged." I mean, I know of I I know of. Um people who've worked in the service sector um, were told very early on in the pandemic actually to turn off this app because of the difficulties it was creating um, and I think you know that has the government's going to have to review this it's saying it's only going to have a test and release it's only going to allow people to get get back for double vaccinated um, from mid-August I think they are going to have to reconsider that bring that 
in earlier i also think they're going to have to have some sort of sort of test and release scheme going because it's just absurd at the minute if you know the level of disruption we're going to get to who knows i suspect what we will see is they'll try and bluff it through um the end of july and august and have to have something a bit more sensible come september when people are back at work and schools return um and all of those things so i think it's going to be a bumpy bumpy ride over the summer but it's definitely five stars that finally we're we're in the right direction now where everybody's working to open up rather than find reasons to to close down and i think that has to be good news and i think our no stars chris has to be that um we won't be here for the next three weeks because we are going on holidays ourselves so um i'm about to jump um um jump on a barge for a week and then i'm off to scotland uh, we will return in early august um and, refreshed uh, and ready to go i'm sure be business yeah. indeed and catch the um q2s as they yeah, they start absolutely. appearing and on that note we'll wish you farewell for now <laughs>